The New Testament book of Jude is a great reminder to us that sometimes the very best things happen in the very worst settings. We know that's a, a truism that Christians are familiar with, that even though sometimes trials are the worst kind of trials and the darkest kind of trials end up actually giving us the greatest light and the greatest experiences in the long run, well, Jude is kind of an example of that because Jude is a dark book. Uh, Jude is a book that's about people who say they speak for God and yet they tell lies about God. Uh, Jude informs us that as Christians, uh, we can't just passively go through life. We actually have an obligation uh, to protect the gospel from these people, these people who won't like us for protecting it, these people who uh, won't like Christ ultimately, and, and there's tension, there's conflict. Jude calls us to battle, if you will, not physical battle, but spiritual battle against liars, against false teachers who say they're Christians, but they aren't, and they tell lies about Jesus. It's, it's, it's a terrible book. <laughs> it's not encouraging. It's not encouraging to think, oh, my life is going to be hard as a Christian, at least sometimes. And uh, That's not encouraging at all. I, I want to enjoy what Christ has done, not be busy even having to defend the reality of it. And yet, even though Jude is a dark kind of book, it's a great book. Because in the book of Jude, you have what is arguably the greatest statement in the whole Bible. The greatest praise, the greatest worship, the most amazing passage, that doxology at the very end. It's a Christian favorite. Christians love this, and it would not come to us if it weren't for the context of darkness and liars and conflict. It comes to us in that awesome context, and it ends with these words. If you go ahead and look with me at Jude 24 and 25, where we read, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling to the, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And we say, yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's the, doc, the doxology, not just a doxology. Sometimes we call it, it's the doxology. It's awesome. Some of you may have grown up in churches where the pastor would say that at the end of every service. What a great thing to send people out with as they go out into conflict. To God and God alone be the glory. The God who is not against us, the God who is for us. And as you have to go through the darkness and as you have to go through the conflicts and God has not called you to passivity, just know that this is the kind of God we serve. Just know this is the kind of God to be glorified and He's glorified even in His being for you. Doxology comes from the Greek word doxa, just comes right over into our language, and it means glory. So to glorify God is to doxa God, if you will. That's where doxology comes from, and this is the ultimate doxology. What we're going to do this morning is, is look at this great glorifying passage, glorifying God, encouraging Christians to be faithful in the midst of these spiritual imposters. It should motivate us, should encourage our hearts, and we'll look a little bit closer at each of its parts, hoping 
with a view toward leaving encouraged, leaving worshiping, leaving glorifying, leaving knowing how to glorify God more appropriately, leaving built up, leaving in the right sense ready for battle because you have the right kind of perspective. Now we know a thing or two about glory, even if we're not churchy kind of people. Who gets the glory in our world? Well, who gets the glory? The victor gets the glory. The winner, the best gets the glory. The hero, the famous one gets the glory. Rumor has it that Taylor Swift was in town this week at Century Link. And you know what? There were thousands of adolescent girls and maybe not so adolescent girls and maybe some boys at the Century Link and they were glorifying Taylor Swift because they see her as the best, as the best musician or one of the best and, and songwriter. And the whole arena was filled with Taylor Swift's glory. Right? We know how to glorify things and we know how to glorify people. I imagine they weren't down there like the frozen chosen. Oh, that was nice. Did you know she writes her own songs? That's amazing. No, was cheering and going crazy and, and into it and praising and glorifying because, again, because she's so good at what she does. We do it with sports. We do it with writers. We do it with celebrities, actors, actresses. We know all about glorifying. And I'm not being critical. As long as we keep a lowercase g on it, <laughs> credit where credit is due. You, 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 you see them as, as great at what they do. Great at who they are. So we, we understand this. And in our text, capital G glory, if you will, is reserved for none other than the only God. And again, coming out of that dark letter the letter of Jude. And it means if you're going to be a faithful Christian, you're going to face conflict. And if you're going to be a, face, uh, be a faithful Christian, it's not all going to be roses. And yet we've learned so much about the gospel in Jude. So much about the sufficiency of Christ and so much about God's grace and so much about the faith once and for all delivered that the appropriate response is the response that gives all the maximized, ultimate glory to the famous one who's none other than the God who is for us. And so I hope that helps you a little bit as we look at the components. We, looked at the, we look at the multifaceted nature of this amazing doxology. I'm not going to number an outline for you this morning, uh, but what we are going to do is we're going to see where it says glory a couple of times. And we're going to keep going back to that. So, for example, the first thing we're going to look at is the beginning of verse 24. And then we're going to connect that with verse 25. Because it says, I'll, I'll read it, I'll read the whole thing this time so you can understand what I'm going to do. Now to him who is, and then we're going to put a blank there for now, okay? Abel is the first one. Now to him who is something, and then dot, 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 be glory, majesty, and dominion. So he's going to say all of these great things about God. The, the way to summarize all of them is glory. 
Okay? It's, it's fitting that this is called a doxology because it really is ultimately about that. But let's look at each of those pieces so that we can see some of the complexity and the multifaceted nature of, of this doxology and see how we praise God. To him who is the first one, to him who is able, be glory. Who should receive the fame and the affirmation and the praise and the worship unrivaled? It should be to the God who is able. The God who acts. The God who acts successfully. The God who is, to borrow from a title from the Old Testament and the New Testament that's used again and again and again to remind us, to the living God would be another way to put that. Unlike all of the idols and all these things that we make, that we're talking about the God, if we're talking about the God that Jude has been talking about, in contrast with the false teacher's God or gods, he's the God who is able He's the God who is living. He's not the figment of our imaginations. He's not the God we made up. He's not the God who merely is in my heart. He's not the God who is merely personal. He's the living God, the able God, the God who acts. And in our context, he's acted savingly in Christ. And we'll get to that. But just for now, now to him who is able be glory. Because that makes him Better than all the other gods. A category all his own. Because we're talking about the able God. He's to be famous because he's not just how we think of him. He's the able one. He's most able. And to be glorified. I went to a bike race this past week. Imagine that. And the one who was most capable... Most able was the winner, and so he stood on the top step of the podium and put both arms up to be glorified. Because that's what you do. The winners are glorified as the winners. They're the most able. They're the most capable. Well, not to trivialize, but again, to, to strike the chord with you, we think in these terms. God is most able. He is alive and able, and we could even say willing. And so we should give him honor, give him glory, give him praise. We don't know for what yet, <laughs> but, but let's, let's move on. Now to him who is able, now we know for what, to keep you from stumbling, dot, 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 be glory. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, context of Jude, if you want to use a fancy theological word, would be apostasy. They're apostate. They, they say they're believers, but they deny the basics of the Christian truth. Maybe they once affirmed the basics, and now they don't affirm the basics. They've walked off the track. And now, in the name of God, they're telling lies about God. In the name of Jesus, they're telling lies about Jesus. And, and here we are in the danger zone. Here we are needing to, to, to butt heads with them at times. Here we are uh, at times trying to help other believers as we just learned a couple of weeks ago in Jude to try to rescue them out from those liars. And it might make us nervous. It might make us concerned. It might make us worried. But let's praise God and give Him glory to Him who is able, our text says, to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to do that. That's encouraging. That's emboldening. 
That's empowering. I'll praise God that I can be a bold witness. Praise God I can go where it's dangerous because he is able and he's able to keep me from stumbling. Which is, again, a great thing. Praise be to God. He's able to keep you from stumbling, by the way, and see you through to the very end because of what Jesus has done. According to the once and for all faith that we learn about in the Bible, that's the kind of Savior Jesus is. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper today and we're being reminded that He is the kind of Savior who keeps us from stumbling. Not because of what we do, but because of what He does. In John chapter 6, you can write it down, in John chapter 6, verse 39, Jesus says this, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Father has given me, and I will lose none that the Father has given me. See, the reason we can say, praise God, to God be the glory, because He's able to keep us from stumbling. We know that that's true, not because we want it to be true, but because Jesus said it was true, and not just because Jesus said it was true, but because Jesus' work is finished. And as sure as He has been raised from the dead, you will be, if you are a genuine believer in Christ, be kept from stumbling into apostasy. To God alone be the glory. Let's go on. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless, dot, dot, dot is the idea, be glory. There's another facet. Keep me from stumbling and to present you blameless. What I wrote down in my notes here is, how can this be? Present me blameless. That's the same word that's used of Jesus' sacrifice in Hebrews chapter 9 and 1 Peter 1, that his sacrifice is blameless. So God is going to present me blameless. How in the world could that be? As blameless, as perfect, is another way of putting that, as perfect as Jesus' sacrifice was, God presents me. That's like egomania, right? I haven't used the word megalomania for a long time, so I'm going to use it today. It's like one of my favorite words. It's just it's like egomania on steroids. Megalomania. I'm just like consumed with self. God is going to present me as perfect as Jesus before himself. Sounds like I'm going to be glorified, huh? Present blameless? How could that possibly be? How could it be true of you? Perfect? Well, he's to be glorified because he is able to do this, willing to do this, and we know how if we're Christians. Because of another. It's because of Jesus, right? You all knew the answer to that, I hope. Yeah, because of what Jesus has done in our place, God is able, willing, and will, the idea is here, and we will praise him because we'll be presented before him blameless. As perfect as Jesus' sacrifice is perfect. Yeah, you know, this is awesome. This is like makes me want to, you know, worship or something. We could probably learn a thing or two from a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> Yeah, this is, he's the best. He's unrivaled. He's to be glorified. 
Because he does that for, for us? This is absolutely astounding. I like what Hebrews chapter, or sorry, what Romans 14 says. At the very end, Romans 14, 4. For the Lord is able to make him stand. And it's not talking about Jesus, the hymn there. It's talking about a believer. The Lord is able to make him stand. And how do we stand? We stand blameless. How could that be? Because of what God does for us in Christ. It's awesome. Let's move on. Another facet. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. You think that's a good place to be or a bad place to be? Trick question. That would be the worst place you could ever be, given who you are and given who I am. Before the throne of the king who is also the judge, and we're sinful, in, as the old Christians would say, in thought, word, and deed, in our actions, in our thoughts, in our speech, and, and, and we're not fit to stand there. We're not blameless. And to stand before the glory of God, to stand before the famous king, to stand before the one who is the judge and to be there before him, that's terrible. That's, that's, how about this? It's the last place on earth you want to be. Apart from what we've been learning about, because we're made able to stand before him in his very personal presence. This is amazing. I would use the word incredible, but that would be the wrong word to use. To stand before God like this if you don't think it would be terrible, read Isaiah 6 this afternoon, right? Isaiah, probably a pretty godly guy, a prophet. And when he's just given a glimpse into the throne room of God, what does he say? He says, woe is me. Damn me, curse me, send me to hell. I'm unworthy. But because of what God does for us, we're able to stand. To be The idea is welcomed. We're not cowering. We're not crawling on our hands and knees. We're not struck dead. We're welcomed. To God be glory. To God be praise. How about this? Just in case you're kind of unfamiliar with the Bible or you've just drunk so deeply at the well of pop culture Christianity. He's able to make us stand in the very presence of his glory even though he knows our hearts. Amazing. Sometimes we say, well, I'm not very good at my actions, but my, my, God knows my heart, Right? even though he knows your heart. Read Jeremiah 17, 9. Your heart is bad. Your heart is actually the problem. Sometimes we can do the right stuff on the outside. 
But as my dad used to say, you can't make a purse out of a sow's ear. I suppose you could. (laughs) Knowing our hearts. In John chapter 2, Jesus didn't entrust himself to people because he knew what was in the heart of man. It's sinful, it's wicked. Knowing our sinful, wicked hearts, because of the work of another, we stand before God. You might be wondering at this point in time what the practicality of all of this is. Well, in the context of Jude, again, we're called to believe the gospel. We're also called to protect the gospel and we're not at peacetime. So there's conflict and there's danger and difficulty and heartbreak and hardship. Remember, through it all, God is for you, successfully for you ably for you. Praise Him. Remember that. Be motivated. Continue. Persevere even if it's hard. But just think about the normal practicality. When your life is like life so often is. And the struggles and the doubts and the conflicts and the difficulties. Even if we take it out of the book of Jude and you just say, you know what? Life. Now to Him who is able. You know, it's just like, yeah. So in that sense, it couldn't be more practical. Okay, let's move on to an, another aspect. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. I've pretty much already covered that. It's not cowering. It's not, I've been summoned by the king. It's with joy. It's with great joy. It's it's the best place to be on earth. It's the greatest place. It's it's the most fulfilling place. It's the most exciting place. I want to be here. And it's so in contrast with Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. This is, this is the best, most fulfilling, wonderful place to possibly be in the presence of God. I was made for this. Or remade, at least. You don't have to be afraid of God. In our context, again, because of Jesus. And we, we so don't get it because we don't understand sin. We don't talk about sin. And, but if we just understand a little bit about sin... That sin makes that we're all sinners, and sin makes us God's enemy, and He's ours. That there is this conflict, and that's in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. If we, we begin to understand just something of, of what's held against us, you say, "Ah, oh, with great joy." It's amazing. Only possible because of the work of Christ. And we'll get to that. Let's move on. We've got a few more of these facets. If we get down to verse 25, to the only God, and now I'm going to change my dot, dot, dot. Hopefully you're following me. To the only God, and then I'm going to go dot, 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 be glory. To the only God, be glory. Contrary to paganism's many gods, like Psalm 135 talked about today, he's the only God. 
Contrary to the superstition God? No, he's the only God. Contrary to what the false teachers are saying about God? No, he's the only God. Contrary to what Mormonism says? No, he's the only God. And on and on and on the list could go. He's the only God. This just makes logical sense, by the way, now. If there's only one God, he and he alone should receive the glory that a God should receive. Some of you are looking at me like, where did that Mormonism quote come from? So, Lorenzo Snow, a famous Mormon, and Joseph Smith would affirm this as well. Lorenzo Snow said this, I quote, As man now is, God, speaking of God the Father in context, once was. So God the Father was once a man. As God now is, man may be. So the whole sermon isn't geared toward refuting Mormonism, but let's just be clear. The one God is the God who gets the glory, not the God of humanly devised religion. And by the way, according to Jude, if there's a once and for all delivered faith, then every other kind of faith is an imposter faith. If they say Jesus or they don't say Jesus. And here we're learning that the God to be glorified is the one God who's always been God and always will be God. And so we see He's to be glorified. He's to be honored. The only God. That's humbling too, by the way, because who was so smart to figure out that there's only one God? Who was so smart to figure out that the only God is the God who sent His Son, Jesus? Well, only because of God's grace we would know this. Say he's to be worshipped and glorified, different from all others. Let's move on. To the only God, our Savior, be glory. Now, if he wasn't a Savior, he should still be the only one who gets the glory if he's the only God. Right? The angels would worship him anyway. They would still say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. To the only God receive glory. To the only ultimately successful one. Unrivaled, unpeered, the best. And in some ways it's easy to be the best when you're the only one. (laughs) Unrivaled. Glory to Him. But then how about this? He's a saving God. He's a rescuing God. He's a delivering God. He's a God who doesn't hold our trespasses against Him, against us. This is mind-blowing. The only God is our Savior. Savior, Savior from self, Savior from sin, and most importantly, Savior from Himself. Here He is, the judge, the just judge, who doesn't compromise, who doesn't change the law with every whim. It's always been the same. Treat me like I'm God and treat one another like your image bearers and we don't do it and yet He saves us. That calls for doxology. That calls for worship. That calls for praise. The only God is a saving God and not only is He a saving God, I love it that Jude is so personal in all of this. He's our Savior. Titus chapter 3 verse 
3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various lusts and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And he's talking to Christians because we're part of the human population. And even though we dress ourselves up on the outside pretty good sometimes, God's perspective is that perspective. And then... But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, personal, our Savior appeared, He saved us. To God be the glory. To Him be the doxology, the praise. He is unrivaled. There's no other God like Him who, who saves, who doesn't compromise His justice. He upholds His justice. As Romans says, He's the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Wow! Staggering to the mind. Getting closer to the end now. Verse 25. To the only God our Savior. Here's how he does it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory. And that's just really short, shorthand, encapsulating the work of Jesus. We, how does God save? He saves through our, He belongs to us, He's personal and cares about us, our Lord Jesus Christ. Not the Lord Jesus Christ of the false teachers who might say Lord, but they actually are Lord because they're rewriting the meaning of the whole thing. So Jude uses that word Lord purposefully throughout the letter. Through our Lord, our authority, our victor, our king. Unlike those who claim new stuff, he's the once and for all one. And what did he do? He volunteers to come into this world. Second member of the triune Godhead. And God has a plan of redemption. The Father has a purpose and plan and sends the Son. And the Son comes. And what does the Son do? The Son comes and says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. For himself, that would be unnecessary. He's doing this for us. He doesn't need to be justified. We need to be justified. And then what does he do? And he suffers. His whole life is a life of suffering. And then ultimate culminating suffering... Even death on a cross, according to Philippians chapter 2, substitutionary atonement in our place. And atonement is required if there's going to be forgiveness, if there's going to be reconciliation. Then what happens? He's raised from the dead. The Bible says, for our justification. He's the victor. He's the conqueror. He's the life bringer. He's the mediator. He ascends into heaven, promises to return. All of this is applied to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, not because of our merit, according to Titus 3, but because of God's sovereign working. The one God saves, and He saves through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, man. so good to, to, to just take that and consider that reality and consider that work and to put that in contrast with, with what any 
religious liar, leader, authority would ever try to sell you. It's just a load of garbage. Christianity 2.0 is a disaster. We're talking about the only God who is a Savior and He saves through His Son, Jesus. To Him be the glory. To Him be the honor. To Him be the praise. Now, we've only been looking at glory, but he says majesty, dominion, and authority. But really, he, he's, he's, he's piling on, if you will. <laughs> There's a reason why they call it the doxology, because glory really captures the big idea. But we can elaborate and see the multifaceted nature even of, of why he would receive glory. He's glorious, but his majesty, which would be his prominence, his loftiness, his greatness. In Hebrews, it says, the majesty on high. It's his prominence, the high place, the, the above all others place. And then dominion, it would be his power to rule, his power to control. In Hebrews 2.24, it talks about, he uses the same word and talks about Satan having the power over death, the dominion over death. Well, that's temporary because ultimate dominion is going to be for, for God and God alone. Ultimate control. And then authority, the right to rule. And that has been an issue in Jude. Because false teachers always play the authority card. With new revelation, new insight, new perspective, something. Family lineage. They've always got some kind of authority card to play that diminishes, doesn't help the lordship of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. And here we're talking about the once and for all delivered by God through the apostles, faith, and the God who's delivered it to us is the one who is the authority. So you can, you can take your visions and isms and spisms and spasms and all kinds of what It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how sincere the experience seems to be. It doesn't matter how detailed. It doesn't matter how many PhDs you have or don't have or experiences if you're a false teacher. Because the one saving God has all authority and he has provided salvation through his son. His son who, by the way, wasn't a mumbler. His son of whom the father said, listen to him. Right? It's, he's knowable. To him be the authority. Because he has the authority. And then he ends with, Amen. Personally, and hopefully you have a better way to wrap it up than I do, I wrote down three words. Astounding. Emboldening. Worship-provoking. Four words. Absolutely, positively, awesome. If by the Spirit of God you can understand this 
at a basic level. Your life need not ever be the same. I'm afraid I've gotten in the way of the whole thing, so let's just relook at it as our great doxology of praise. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Father, thank you that we can say amen, that this is, this is right, this is good, this is so, and we find ourselves in hearty agreement that Jesus is the great Savior and that we find ourselves filled with great joy even now knowing that one day we will stand before the presence of God who would otherwise be an awful judge and we will stand there with great joy. Thank you that you don't hold our trespasses against us. Thank you that you've been kind and gracious and loving toward us. May this motivate us to to want to be faithful, to not only believe the gospel, but to, to promote the gospel and to defend the gospel as needed. We're thankful for the Lord Jesus. Please use us so that many might believe in him and have eternal life. We know that only you can change hearts and only you can open blind eyes but we do also know that you use human instruments like us to proclaim the truth about Jesus. We want to do that. We long to do that because he is to be glorified and honored. In Jesus' name, amen.